Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Lifehouse fam, let's give it up for dads everywhere in this place today. Come on, we celebrate you, we thank you, we love you, appreciate you, man. Shout out to all of the fathers out there holding it down, uh, and, and man, you are awesome, and we are so, so thankful for you. One more time, Lifehouse, let's get it for fathers in this place, man. We're so grateful and thankful for you. Really, really. Also, too, if, if it is your first time here, we just, we just want to say welcome to Lifehouse Church, man. We just, we, just, we just want you in and encourage you. Come back out. Check us out a couple, a couple more times. We have an incredible church family here, and we would love to get you plugged in. I don't know why I got like an echo-ish thing going on here. Jesus is talking behind me, I guess. I don't, I don't know. You know, he's giving that to me. Anyway, though, we are so, so pumped that you are here. We are continuing our road trip today through Scripture. Um, last week, we were in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, talking about this idea of origin and how as, as Christians, as people, we have to wrestle with this whole idea of where we came from. And we have to process that, think, think through that. Was it in the beginning God or was it in the beginning bang, right? And, and we've, like, we had to wrestle with because where you came from really determines where, where you're going and why you're going there. But secondly, uh, today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Um, and this is what Christians refer to as the fall, the fall. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, God creates this beautiful world. He creates man and woman, puts them in this beautiful garden, says eat from any tree. You can eat from any tree that you, that you want to. They were naked. Sounds like an awesome place to me. Puts you in a garden, you naked, eat whatever you want besides this one tree, uh, but live within God's boundaries, under God's authority. So God's idea of paradise, God's idea of a of a perfect world is man, woman, in community, living, living under God's authority, ruling over creation, living within God's boundaries, and living naked and unashamed. That's awesome. Living in, but, but the goal of all of that was freedom. Freedom is you living under God's authority, ruling over creation. Where you, by God's power, spirit, living in you, like you rule over this world in community, living within God's boundaries. That is what perfection looked like in God's eyes in Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And that's, and that's where we get this question of origin. We see God as a God of, of order. We see God as a God of balance. We see God as a God of the good. And we see God as a God to be worship. But in Genesis 3, immediately after God creates this perfect world, creates boundaries, gives them freedom, there was somebody that didn't like the fact that God had made them and God had created them free. And we, we see in Genesis chapter 3, um, a guy named Satan comes on the scene. 
as Christians, we've got to wrestle with this whole idea of why is the world the way it is? Because I think if we're completely honest, we intrinsically know the way the world is right now isn't the way it's supposed to be. A big level is you look at the wars, the poverty, the famine, the bloodshed, the inequality, injustices. We look around on this big level and it's just like, what in the heck is going on? Why is the world so full of death and destruction? N not just on a, a, a bigger level, but even on a smaller level, even in, our, even in our own individual lives, we probably all know people that are somebody's, someone's battling cancer, somebody lost a child, miscarriages, like just all of these things that bring so much hurt and pain to our lives. Like, we just intrinsically know there's something wrong. And I, I know as a people, we're trying to figure it, it out. Maybe science can help us. Oh, science has told us that there's certain genes that lead to anger. So maybe it's the anger gene. Maybe it's the anger gene that's in people. So maybe if we get the right DNA put in them, maybe people won't act like the way they act and just want to live and take advantage of people and put people down. Maybe we can get into it, but I think if we're completely honest, we, we, we know science isn't going to solve a whole lot. Sci science can definitely help. I'm not saying it can't, but at the same time, like I said last week, science never tells you why. It might do a decent job of telling you how, but I think the issue is so much deeper than just our physical bodies. It goes deeper into our hearts. We know there's something wrong because it really seems like no matter how much money we spend, how many elections we hold, organizations we start, blogs we write, complaints we air, tears we cry, or how many wages we wore, boredom, annoyances, miseries, fears, tragedies, suffering, injustices, evil, sickness, pain, and death continue unabated without any hope of stopping. It feels like our world is a house of cards that is just waiting to blow down by war, starvation, technological advances, division, and hatred. Christians have to wrestle why the world is the way it is right now, because that's one of the big reasons why people don't believe in God. They say, how could God allow that child to die? How could God allow children to starve to death? And I think what we find here in Genesis 3 is a huge reason why we see what we see. If we don't understand this day in history, we miss a lot. Nothing in this world will make sense. Genesis chapter 3, we're, we're going to start in verse number 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any, wild, than any of the wild animals that God had made. The, the serpent is Satan. The serpent is Satan. So God creates a free, a free world, freedom, relationship. He creates this this perfect world where people are free. And then what does Satan come and immediately attack? He attacks freedom. And Satan is after your freedom. I know you think he's for it. I know you think he's, you know, he wants to, to get you free by doing whatever you want to. But ultimate freedom is not found in Satan. Ultimate freedom is found in God's order. But now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had made. You know, the devil's crafty. 
He will bait the hook with whatever he's got to bait it with to get you to do whatever he wants you to do instead of you doing whatever God requires of you to do. He will do whatever. Jesus said, said this, that Satan came for three things, to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. On Satan's website, 666, his mission statement, if you go to about us, Satan's mission statement, his vision, is he wants to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. That's his whole, I know this isn't popular preaching nowadays. You know, it's just, it's, you know, the problems are, you know, we just need to become better people. We just need to get smarter, get more education, to stop doing bad and just be good. But the issue is the fact that we have an enemy in this world whose main goal is to try to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you, and ultimately take you away from the freedom that God intended for you. You have an enemy, John 10.10. So it says this, the serpent was more crafty. He said to the woman, he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, you know, we may eat from fruit in the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. And Satan says, well, you're not going to certainly die. The serpent said, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan here, the first thing he does is question God's word. Did God really say that? Are you sure? Are you sure? He said, he, he didn't say that. So first off, he goes from questioning to flat out lying. And then he makes Adam and Eve think God's holding something back from you. Oh, if, if you see what this God's like, like he doesn't love you enough to just let you do whatever he wants to. He's holding something back from you. And this is, this, this is guys, this story doesn't just happen, it happens. This is, the, I mean, this is the story of how Satan's been working over thousands of years. He wants to question God's word, get you thinking, well, does God really love me? You know, if God really loved me, he'd let me do whatever I want to do because, I mean, God's got, I mean, God, you know, who, who's God anyway? You know, I mean, if, I can't see him. I mean, you know, and he's, he just like tries to get into your mind to try to twist and contort and he'll bait the hook with whatever he's got to do to try to get you to question God's word and God's order. This right here is the deception. And we need to be aware of the devil's schemes. Paul, when, 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 whenever in the New Testament he was writing to a, a church, he said this, don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. There is a schemer out to get you and to pull you down and try to steal from you the freedom that God wants for you. So first off, we see the, we see the deception here. We see the deception here, and then we see a decision. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, or excuse me, verse 6 and 7. It says this, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, so it was like it looked good, it felt good, and it was going to add to them, it was going to give them wisdom. Said so she took some of it, and what? Ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's the saddest day in human, human history. Right there, when Adam and Eve deliberately, willfully made a choice to disobey God's word and willfully go 
against God's word to do what they want to do. And like I said, this story doesn't just happen. It happens every day. We've got to understand the nature of sin. Where, where sin is something, sin is a choice that we willfully make. And I know we want to play the blame game. And that is the next point. What we see here, Genesis chapter 3, 8 through 13. So they make a decision to willfully sin and turn their backs on God. And what we see next is we see this whole, that better be Jesus. Uh, we see this whole idea. Um, <laughs> mercy is calling. <laughs> some, some, someone down there said that. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but what we see next is Adam and Eve sin, and then it turns into this whole blame game. Genesis 3, 8 through 13 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God from, or they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. He said, Where are you? He, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman. The man said, the woman that you put here with me. She gave me some of the fruit. And I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, it was the serpent. It was his fault. So what we see here, they willfully make the decision to sin. And then what ends up happening is this whole blame game. Adam says, no, actually what happened was, is God, it's actually your fault. Because you gave me this woman. You put this woman here with me. And she gave it to me. And I just did what my wife wanted me to do because I didn't want any trouble in the house. I didn't, you know, happy wife, happy life. So I'm just going to do whatever she wants me to do so we don't have any problems. She was giving me the silent treatment. She was saying, it's okay, honey, don't eat it then. Fine, I'll just do it. You know, she was giving me all this stuff, and I just said, fine, God, I'll take it and eat it. It'll be all good then. And then she was like, nah, man, it was, it was the serpent got me. You know, here, here's about my sin. What we see here, sin isn't just what you do, it's what you don't do, right? Everyone says Eve had the first sin. You know, Eve was the one, she was deceived, which she was. But do you see, Adam was standing right beside her whenever she was being deceived. And do you know what Adam did? He did nothing. His charge was to be responsible to oversee Eve and, do, and, and not, not to, you know, domineer over her, but he was held responsible for the health and wealth of their family. And whenever Satan attacked his wife, he did and said nothing. He should have said, honey, get that fruit out of here. Satan, go back to hell where you came from. Not in my house. But Satan did not, no, excuse me, Adam did not do or say anything. He just allowed Satan to come in and attack his household and attack his home. Men, you are called to protect. God has set you up as being the authority in your home, not to be worshipped, but to be responsible for. 
for the oversight, for the, the blessing of, for the health of your family. We always get on Eve saying, she said, I think the first sin was Adam doing nothing. Him being, him, him, him just standing there and just letting whatever happen under his watch. You, you know, men, I believe this, that, that our church needs men that will take responsibility and love their wives and love their children and, and raise them up and rebuke the devil, rebuke the enemy, and say, I'm going to be responsible for my house and for my home, and I'm going to block Satan. I'm, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm going to keep myself right, and I'm going to live for what matters. I'm going to live for a legacy, not just live for a good time, but I'm going to live to leave a legacy. And what if we had a church full of fathers and men that said, I'm, I'm going to stand up and be the man that God has called me to be. So we can actually say, hey, this is what God's like. Because honestly, the best way of explaining God is through the idea of a father. And I know some, some, some of you here, if you haven't had a, a good father figure, sometimes how you view God can be extremely skewed. Because ultimately, God is like a father to us. So what we see here, the blame game happens. Well, it was Eve, it was this woman you put with, with, with me. But ultimately, you'll never know the depths of God's grace until you take full responsibility for your wrongdoing. Playing the blame game does not work because what we like to play is victim. And that's what, that's what Adam and Eve did here. God, it's your fault. This is why you happened to me. We want to blame nature, nurture. We, we, we want to blame everybody and everything except for ourselves, for the faith that we have when in reality, we need, to, we need to accept responsibility for the sin that we have willfully done. Because if we don't know the depths of our sin, we'll never know the depths of God's goodness. We'll never know the depths of God's grace. We'll never truly know what we have been saved from. The blame game. From the deception to, to the decision, and now the consequences come out. And God, God is a God of grace, but God is a God of judgment. And what we see here after this, this sin, he starts to kind of lay out some judgments here in Genesis chapter 3, verses. I need my confidence monitor to work because I need confidence right, right now. You give me some confidence? No confidence coming. Okay, great. Uh, huh? That's great, but I need some confidence here. I don't need any confidence there. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. We, we see the consequences. I don't know if we have it up here. Yep, okay, good. We have it here. We don't have it here. Okay, good. That's fine. It said, though, so God said to the serpent, he said, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Remember that statement. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. Oh my God, is this true? I've watched three births. I never, I'm glad I'm not a woman. I will say that like 
I watch that and I'm like, I'm glad my curse is different. <laughs> That's their curse. They can have that curse. Like their curse, I, women, y'all are amazing. That's all, that's all I got to say. Yes. Make their pains and child. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To add, and, and, and right there, what that is, is she will lust for God's approval. And I think we can see that in our, our world where, unfortunately, if women are not served and loved well, if, daughter, if daughters are not served and loved well, they can, ha- they can have this unhealthy desire to want a man's approval, and they'll do and sacrifice whatever they have to do to get it. You know what I'm saying? To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit, fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and dust you will return. Men, have you ever just wondered why everything is so hard? Your job is hard. Nothing goes the way you want. Your car breaks down. Your, your house is consistently messing up. You got friends that don't, you know, come through on projects that you need. It just says like all of this toil, thorns and thistles is what it's called. Why? Because we live in a cursed world. And I know that's not popular, but the bottom line is this. A lot of the issues that we see happening now is a direct result of because we live in a fallen, broken sinful world that we've seen the effects of it over generations over generations to what we have now to now we're trying to figure out what's going on why why is all of this going on when the answer is found in the fact of we have sin we willfully choose to disobey god this story did not just happen it happens, and honestly, Adam, we are no different than Adam and Eve every single day. I know, it's, I'd have never done that. Yes, you would have. Satan might have used something else to get your hook. But you would have done the exact same thing. But even in the midst of their bad decisions, their, their deception, even in the midst of these consequences, we still see the evidence of God's grace. I am so glad that even when I was far and I was turning and running from God, there was still evidence of God's grace in, in my life. And you've been there too. Grace, Genesis 3.21, it says this. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Be, be, before he said, you need to get out of this garden, he said, I'm going to make sure you're clothed. I love that. He didn't just say, get out! Get out of this garden, you wicked sinners! Have fun making it. He said, no, do you know what? I'm going to make sure, even before you go, even in your sin, even in your mess, I'm going to make sure you're covered. I'm going to make sure that even in your disobedience, your willful disobedience and sin, that I'm going to make sure you're covered whenever you leave here. To me, that's evidences of God's grace. Aren't you glad when you had your back turned to God, when you were willfully in your sin, when you left him, he didn't leave you? 
When you were running away from him, he wasn't running from you, he was running towards you. His grace was still there. His grace was still evident. We even see in this first story, this is, this is setting the tone of God's character throughout the whole of scripture. That even in man's disobedience, there was gonna be grace. And even in their sin, God still had a plan. We read earlier in Genesis 3, 15 and 6 and 16. Sorry, fellas, can we put that back up? Go down here. He says, I will put enmity. This is God talking to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel, saying, Eve, from your offspring, there is going to come a man who is going to eventually crush Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, three chapters into the Bible, we see the first reference to prophecy of there being a Savior, of there being a man that's going to come from... God didn't talk, did, did not say, Adam, from your offspring, from your seed. He said to Eve, from your seed, meaning meaning this. It's not going to be a man's seed that's going to, to get you pregnant. It's going to be a God's seed that's going to get you pregnant. And Eve, from your offspring, from a woman's offspring, is going to come someone that's, that's going to crush Satan. Genesis chapter 3, three chapters into the Bible, we see a prophecy about Jesus coming. In other words, when there was sin, consequences, destruction, God still had a plan. God had a plan to redeem and save and forgive. I'm so glad that in our sin, wherever you're at right now, I don't know where you're at, but if you are in sin, you got your back turned towards God, he still has a plan for your life. He still has a plan in your sin. I'm glad we serve a God that doesn't give up on us. And what we see in scripture here, this is what you want to get from the Bible is not just facts about a story. You want to glean a character of a God. The Bible is more than facts. It's more than 40 people here, 20 people here. This person did this, this person did that. In these stories, we glean the character of the God that wrote this book through imperfect human people. And what we see starting off here, Genesis 1 and 2, he, wants you to, he wanted you to be free. What we see here, Satan, he doesn't want you free. But even when we gave, even Adam and, and Eve and us, that story didn't just happen, it continually happens. Even when we don't even choose freedom, God has a plan for you to still be free. I hope you see this, that the Bible is more than just facts. There's a heart behind the writer. There's character behind the writer. And his character that even in your brokenness, even in your sin, there is hope. There is love. There is joy. There is peace. There is forgiveness. There is somebody that wants to get you out. The, uh, the Apostle Paul, whenever he was trying to explain all of this Adam stuff with this whole Jesus thing, in Romans chapter 5, he's explaining the gospel to these, you know, 
Roman Christians, and he's trying to get them to see the depths of their sin, but the depths of God's goodness. And he's saying, hey, look, we're going to check it out here. He's, he's, he's basically saying, you're going to have one of two daddies, Adam or Jesus. And the bottom line is all of us fit into Adam because all of us have sinned. Every, every, that, that's our father and mother, y'all. So our proclivities is to be just like Adam, men, where we do nothing. We just stand there and let Satan attack us. It's not just what we do, it's what we don't do. Say, well, do you know what? I feed, I feed my family, men, but do you love your wife? I make sure my kids got their stuff, but are you emotionally present with your family? I, you know, I, I, I do, do, do. But are you there for your family? Do you do more than just provide? Do you actually love and serve and lead like Jesus? Ladies, your proclivity is to listen to the wrong voices that want to wiggle their way into your life and destroy. Like we, Adam and Eve are us, y'all. It's us. But there's was hope, and his name was Jesus. And let's listen to Paul talk about this whole thing. It says, you know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in, okay? In the dilemma we're in, this is Adam. A broken world, a busted world, a jacked up world. First sin, then death. No one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and everything and everyone, and we see that. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead end abyss of separation from God, just think of what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous, life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, or life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting, everything right, that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides? He's saying, you got Adam over, over here. He's got sons and daughters that, that that's us before Christ, but in Christ, we have a new man, a new nature, a new, a brand new identity. Basically saying this, Adam, Eve, they were tempted and they sinned. We see in Matthew 4, Luke chapter 4, Jesus was tempted in the same way, but Jesus what? Said no. He, he overcame. Instead of listening to Satan, he said, Satan, back off. I eat and I live from God's word. The same spirit that lived in Jesus now lives in those that follow him. So we have the power by, by his Holy Spirit to put sin to death and live for God's glory. 
because of a new nature given through us through the now new man, Jesus Christ. And when we put faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross in our place and for our sins, that new nature is imputed, imparted to us. So now we can now live a new life in Christ that instead of bringing hell to earth, boundness to earth, we can bring heaven, life, and freedom to earth. So that as people see us, they see who this God is in Scripture. That they see it's a God of freedom. Let me tell you freedom, y'all. Freedom is being able to do what, what God has required you to do. Freedom is not doing what you're bound to. People want to be free. But they're bound. They're bound by food, addiction, drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography. We weren't called to be ruled over by creation. We were called to rule over it under God's authority. And the way we do that is by giving our lives to Christ and living a brand new life so we can know what true life and what true freedom is. Who's your daddy? Is it Adam or is it Jesus? I don't know where you're at today, but on this Father's Day, you can have a new father. And the way of Adam's way, Eve's way of living a destructive life, willfully doing what you want to do, you can replace that with a new nature in Jesus, who because of his sacrifice paid for our sin debt, but then also gave us the opportunity to enter into a relationship with God where we can be changed and transformed. Let's pray, church. God, we, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for what you're doing in us and through us today. God, you know every heart here. You know where every person's at. God, we see in Scripture your desire is freedom for us, and Satan's desire is to, for us to be bound. So, God, I pray, God, that people would see the deception, maybe that they're currently in, but they would see the freedom and joy that you provide. Really quick, with every head bowed, every eye closed, man. Look, I know everyone finds themselves in different places here, but I want to give you the opportunity to make God your father. If you are possibly here today and you just say, John, I want to make a decision to, to make God Lord of my life. I want to receive this free gift that we find in Jesus that goes against the effects of the fall and strives to bring heaven to earth instead of hell. It just makes a simple decision. Scripture tells us it's by faith or uh, by grace through faith, meaning there's nothing we could do to make God love us or to earn God's favor or his approval. We simply put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, and that is imputed to us. It's given to us as a free gift. And that's all you've got to do, and it begins there. It's open to everybody. And as Jesus comes into your heart, what ends up happening is you begin this process of changing to be not more like Adam and Eve, but more like Jesus, to be more like him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you can say, John, I want to start this journey. I want to say yes to Jesus today. What I'm going to do, I'm going to pray, and all I want you to do is simply repeat after me. And I believe if you pray this prayer with every bit of who you are, with your core being, that I, I guarantee you'll experience life change through Christ today. And by God's Holy Spirit and through the power living in you and by a church family coming alongside you, you'll live a new life in Jesus Christ. If everyone would here, re re repeat this prayer after me. Ready? Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my soul. 
I receive your freedom today. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the dead works. Forgive me of good works done, done for the wrong reasons. Forgive me for willful sins that I knew were wrong. I receive your forgiveness today. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you did on the cross in my place and for my sins. Jesus, help me to live up to who my new daddy is. God, I need you. I submit to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said that prayer today for the first time, we want to give it up for you. Lifehouse fam, can we give it up for anybody that said that prayer today for the first time? Would you all stand with, with me today? If you did say that prayer today for the first time, you said yes to Jesus for the first time, man, we want to connect with you. Whenever you walked in, you should have received a you card. Right, right on the back of that card, it says, my life was changed by Jesus today for the first time. If you would just check that box and turn it into us at the next steps booth right outside. We want to give you a free Bible. We want to connect with you and help you on this brand new journey of following Jesus Christ and living a brand new life in Him. Guys, we're going to pray. Excuse me. We're going to worship whatever business you need to do with God today. We're going to sing about God's reckless love his goodness to us, about how there was nothing that kept God's love from us, even in our sin, even in our consequence. When we had our backs turned to him, he did not have his back turned towards us. He was passionate about coming after us and seeing us become more like him. Hey, let's just take a few, a few seconds right now, a few moments right now, and, and let's just get into God's presence and thank him for his reckless love towards us. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.